The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer. If you have a story you would like to share, or if you know of a story that we should be sharing, you can email us, theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or even better, go to theaddictionpodcast.com and fill out a form there that tells us all about the story. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a good review. That way people can find us. And the whole point of this podcast is to offer hope and help to people suffering from this horrific pandemic. Today we're going to talk to a lady named Danielle Gregorich. She's an Arizona native. She's an Air Force wife and sober mom of two children. She is a multiple suicide attempt survivor, a kidney cancer survivor, and a stroke survivor. She started writing about her sobriety publicly in 2018 after she suffered a massive stroke. Before I tell any more of her story, let's talk to Danielle Gregorich. Recording. Danielle, is it Gregorich or Gregorick? Gregorich. Gregorich. Okay, good. That's how I said it in the intro. Thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and telling your story. Thank you so much for having me. Truly, thank you. Absolutely. So tell us, take us back to the beginning. Where did you grow up? How did you first get introduced to alcohol and or drugs? So I grew up um, in a fairly affluent neighborhood in, um, it's called Ahwatukee, it's a suburb of Phoenix, and um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, my mom is still currently active in her d- disease, and, um, you know, she kind of forced me to recognize this disease at a really early age. Um, she said, you know, if you drink, you're going to become an alcoholic. And so, um, I basically took that as a challenge. I figured, well, if I'm going to become an alcoholic. I might as well be the best damn one. Right. And, uh, you know, we didn't have alcohol in the home. Um, but the, the very first moment I had the opportunity to drink was in seventh grade and, you know, it was at a, a friend's house and, um, I drank an entire bottle of Papa vodka, um, which is disgusting. That's like the worst first drink possible. Yuck. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I passed out in like what a about like a rum and coke, Danielle. I'm sorry. Uh, right. Say that. For sure. I'm just like even like a screwdriver or like something. It was disgusting. And I don't think I've ever touched it since that day, but whatever. Um, and, um, you know, I passed out in this like gated neighborhood and, um, I don't even recall how I got home, but, um, I ended up walking home, I'm assuming. And, um, you know, my dad is six foot six and he was furious. But when I had that liquid courage in me game on, like, I felt like a fight a six foot six six man. Um, there was, I had no fear of nothing. And so, um, you know, I rode that train, um, all the way until I was 34. Um, I drank alcoholically from the get go. And, um, I don't think I've ever been one of those alcoholics that like, well, I just want to drink like a lady. Like, no, (laughs) 
gonna drink, I'm gonna get wasted, chip wasted. That's that's the thing. And um, I I ended up not uh, graduating with my class. I ended up getting my um, diploma in summer school, and that was kind of my way of like sticking it to my parents because um, they couldn't really hide the fact that I didn't get to graduate with the, my class, and they were kind of this family that kept everything under the covers. You're not allowed to speak about anything that goes on in this house. This is, you know, we have this perfect white picket fence family. And, um, you know, not only did I have to carry my own secrets, but it also had to carry the shame and the secrets and the trauma of my mom. And, you know, the shame and the secrets and the trauma of my dad. And so, you know, that, that's a lot of pressure to put on, you know, a young girl. And I don't believe that's why I'm an alcoholic. And I don't believe that's why I, I drink the way that I drink. I think I drink the way that I drink because that was my solution. And um, I ended up, my parents kicked me out and I ended up going to New Mexico. I had an ex-boyfriend that lived there and I quickly figured out that the ex-boyfriend was an ex-boyfriend for a reason. Um, <laughs> and then I, uh, I ended up living at a fraternity house. I mean, why not? And I was, you know, basically like the frat mom at 18 years old. It's ridiculous. And, um, you know, I got into real estate out in New Mexico. I met um, my boss who was just like this pillar of hope. And he believed in me in such a way that I had never experienced in my life. And, um, you know, he was a very like God oriented person. And I hadn't, I didn't have any religion growing up. I didn't know anything about that. And so um, like, I was kind of in awe about it, um, but it's weird because I felt like I'd always had like that spiritual connection always. But, um, you know, growing up in an atheist or agnostic home, I don't even know what they are. Um, you know, it wasn't something that I could discuss. And, and I don't believe it needs to be discussed. I believe it's just a very personal thing for me. And so we'll just fast forward. I, um, I ended up meeting my now husband. Um, I got pregnant um, shortly after we were dating um, and I was furious, furious because um, I had been told that I could not have kids mm. and I was 100% okay with that um, because the fact that being responsible for another human and screwing them up, like my parents screwed me up, that was not something that I wanted to take on whatsoever. And um, uh, I found out I was pregnant. I was 16 weeks when I found out because I didn't think I'd get pregnant. So who's going to think a missed period is you might be pregnant. And uh, my son was born at uh, 34 weeks. He was born not breathing, um, basically not alive. And I, I just remember sitting um on the operating table because it was an emergency C-section. And I just felt this wave of relief um, because I, I thought God had heard my prayers. He knew that I didn't want to be a mom. And so, you know, he, 
he took this away from me. Um, my son is now 13, um, very, very healthy, very alive. And, um, but you know, that I had immediate postpartum depression. I mean, from the get go. And I just remember, um, sitting in the hospital and just wanting to escape to, to go back and drink, but I had to stay in the hospital for a week. Um, because I had really bad preeclampsia and my son was at another hospital. They airlifted him and it was just like the perfect storm. I, you know, I didn't want to be a mom. Um, I had already struggled with depression. Um, I'd already struggled with all these other issues that I'd never gotten to the root core of. And so, you know, as soon as he was born, I basically just, I was off to the races and, and I needed that solution more than ever being a mom you know, this mommy wine culture is, it's okay. You know, you're a mom, you should drink. Um, and I didn't need an excuse to drink. Let's be real, (laughs) (laughs) but it was socially acceptable. So, uh, and then, you know, I did a a lot of things that I'm hundred percent not proud of. And, um, I, my husband is active duty air force and, about five years after my son was born, he um, had to go on another deployment. And I had such fear around taking care of this baby by myself. He wasn't a baby at the time, you know, he was four and a half, five years old, but just um, it, it was it was daunting and, and too overwhelming. And so I figured, um, you know, well, if I had got pregnant before I can get pregnant again, and I won't drink if I'm pregnant, right? And so um, we had two weeks to get pregnant. Um, I had a, an IUD and they took it out. And so uh, we tried for two weeks and, you know, I took a pregnancy test like almost immediately after I, I had um, uh, had sex basically. <laughs> and, um, you know, it showed up negative. And so I just assumed like I'm not pregnant. So it, it didn't work. So go back to drinking. And, um, all of a sudden, you know, fast forward about 17 weeks and I'm like, my boobs are like huge. <laughs> and like, I have like those blue veins and I'm like, Oh, this is not good. <laughs> so, um, I took pregnancy test and come to find out I was pregnant again. And, um, you know, this time around was very different. Um, we, we really wanted to get pregnant. Um, I found out I was going to have a girl, which was terrifying because at the time I was not a woman that anybody should look up to like Mm. anybody. And so the idea that, you know, I was going to be this role model for this little girl was just like, I couldn't do it. Um, but I, I was able to like suit up and and show up for the assignment. And and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to make this the best possible scenario. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And, um, and she came out just healthy as can be. And she was just so tiny and just like, so perfect. I had her the day after my 30th birthday. So I'm the, uh, the 29th and she's the 30th. And, um, so we share that commonality. We're both Capricorns and, um, like we just had like this instant connection and, um, you know, I I was on cloud nine. I'm like, okay, 
this is what it's supposed to be like, right? Okay, now I understand what these moms are talking about. I get chills even. And so um, I, I was on cloud nine for six weeks. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So uh, I started having this weird kind of nagging pain in my left side, and it was this weird. And so I went to my OB and kind of notified him what I was experiencing. And so he sent me to have an x-ray, and he believed that I had, she had moved a rib out of place. And so I went to like physical therapy and they were scraping and trying to maneuver it and whatever. And, and it was not working and it was so excruciating, painful. And so, um, I went back and I was like, I gotta, I gotta go and get a CT. There's something wrong. Like I know my body. And I went to the ER and, uh, come to find out there was uh, a tumor double the size of my kidney and it was kidney cancer. And I just remember thinking like, are you serious? I'm 30 years old. I just had a baby and I'm finally happy, like for real. And I, I was so angry. And so I was diagnosed with kidney cancer on March 1st of 2014 and I had the kidney removed the entire one at, um, on March 3rd of 2014. And so I'm, I'm just recovering from a C-section. I have to sit in a hospital bed and try to pump milk for my baby with, you know, morphine, Percocet, whatever was flowing through me. And, uh, it was just such a nightmare. And I just remember thinking, you know, well, if I'm going to have to go through with this, um, at least I'm going to have Percocets. And, you know, I quickly figured out that um, Percocets were my second love to alcohol. Alcohol would always be my first one. But um, Percocets helped me drink the way that I wanted to drink. I didn't ever want to get sloppy drunk. Um, it was almost like cocaine to me, which is really bizarre because that's not what they're supposed to do. It was supposed to bring you, you know, down. And so, um, you know, I, I rode that, that Percocet train for, uh, almost 
four and a half years and um, the mixing the alcohol with the Percocets made me into a human that um, I didn't even know. I, I was just so reckless more than I had ever been before. I, you know, the fear was completely gone. Um, I ended up having um, an affair on my husband and I, it's, he found out and uh, it was just devastating. You know, he's my person. He's always been my person and who I was and what I was doing just wasn't who I, I am was, it's just not who I am. And so um, we basically, my husband decided, let's do, you know, a geographic change and we're going to move away from the neighborhood that we're living in. And so it's like, okay, so we bought this big, beautiful blue house and uh, you know, that was going to make everything better. I, I have this big house. I have a horse. I have a golf cart. I have two cars in the garage. Like everything's good. Right. And they were, it was not, it was not whatsoever. Um, I didn't, realize that we alcoholics don't do really well with change or moving especially and uh we moved right in the middle of um it was almost Christmas time and you know my husband came home and he was like you know we're gonna go buy a Christmas tree and I was like I don't know who we is because I'm not I'm drunk as shit and I cannot put on you know the fake happy family face anymore and um, so he decided to, he was pack up the kids to go get the Christmas tree, the Christmas tree lot or whatever. And um, I, as soon as they left, I, I, talk, I took a ton of pills. I don't even remember what I took or what I didn't take. And uh, when he loaded up the kids in the truck, um, the truck wouldn't start. And he came back in to the house and he found me lifeless on the floor and he called the ER and um, next thing I know I, I woke up um, in an emergency room and I was furious like I can't even kill myself properly like how much of a failure can you be Danielle for real it's it was just such a nightmare and um, you know I, I was like well I'm gonna stay sober I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my life together and um, that didn't happen and that was in 2016, uh, 2017, you know, was another shit show. I think I got a couple DUIs here and there. Um, but in, in 2018, uh, which is March of 2018, I, I had gotten in a hit and run. And this was the very first time that I'd actually um, been a little bit afraid. Nobody got hurt. Nobody, you know, was injured whatsoever, but um, I hit this dude cause he had cut me off and I was like, I'm going to teach this guy a lesson. <laughs> Apparently he got me the lesson <laughs> and, um, you know, I, uh, he had filmed me, um, uh, you know, driving reckless and the police ended up showing up at my house. I, for some reason I knew better not to go home. So I hid out at a friend's house for like a little over a day. My husband had no idea where I was. Cops were looking for me. Like it was such a shit show. <laughs> and, um, you know, but ultimately that it really put my disease and where I had um, entered a whole new phase of my 
um, alcoholism and it, and it really scared me. I didn't want to be that mom on the news. You know, I didn't want, I don't want any of that. And so I ended up taking an Uber to, um, a meeting and I walked in there, um, really defeated and really hopeless. And, um, you know, I had exhausted all the other avenues to get sober, you know, the rehabs, therapists, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Like I had tried it all. Um, but I was like, you know, maybe, you know, this program, these rooms might work. It was, it was my Hail Mary. And um, shockingly enough, it worked. And, uh, you know, shortly into my sobriety, even when I tell my story, I'm like, how the hell is this true? <laughs> uh, so I walked in in March of 2018 and I suffered a massive stroke in uh, June of 2018. And um, that stroke took my ability to speak, read and write completely away. And, um, you know, that was my first, go ahead. I was just going to say, was the stroke alcohol related, alcohol and drug related, or do they know, or they believe that it was actually caused by birth control. So I had been taking birth control and, you know, I was over 30 years old and I wasn't like a major smoker, but you know, I wasn't, I'm assuming that the alcohol and the pills did not help. So it might've just kind of been the perfect storm. And so, uh, you know, when I suffered the stroke and, and I had no ability to speak, no ability to write, no ability to read, um, I finally understood the feeling of being powerless. And so how old were your kids at this point? So my daughter was four years old and my son was nine. I, unbelievable. So you're a mom with two kids. Wow. It, yeah, it, um, and you're sober now though, right? I mean, you got sober in March. Yep, I did. And so (laughs) it was just, yeah. And that's the other thing, you know, thank God I had gotten sober before because, um, I didn't have to like try and figure out to hide, you know, beer bottles all over the place. And, Um, the cops literally busted the cops and the ambulance busted through my door and kind of put me on the gurney and they had to stay. The police had to stay with my kids until my husband got home. I'm thinking I've put my kids through so much stuff. Uh, so the, uh, the neurologist basically told me, you know, more than likely you will never get your speech 100% back. And I just remember sitting in the hospital. I was like, that's not going to work for me. And so. Obviously I, uh, it hasn't. You were talking. No, it definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I kind of said the most sincere and honest prayer I'd ever said. And I basically said, you know, in my head, because I couldn't talk, obviously. And so I said, you know, God, if you give me um, these abilities back, I'll, I'll spend the rest of my life helping others. And um, that's what I've done. And, you know, first year of sobriety was hell. I hated every part of it. (laughs) Second year got better and and third year has been just amazing. And I hear it keeps getting better. So you got, yeah, you got sober in March of 2018. So you're a good three and a half years sober. Very well done considering, (laughs) I, I mean, I don't know. I kind of feel like if I'd gotten sober and then three months later had major stroke 
I might have started drinking again. I don't know. So I, I, I actually applaud you for not going down that road. You know what I mean? It, it was just, you know, and that's the other thing, you know, I'm not, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty that my stroke wasn't caused by alcohol. So the fear of taking another drink is the stroke. And so I'm not going to do it. Understood. I understood. And you wrote a book about it. Yes. Your whole experience. You wrote a book. I did. Um, that was never in the plan <laughs> whatsoever. I, uh, you know, I had, I had to write, um, you know, type, not physically write um, for my speech therapy in order to regain, regain those neurotransmitters and hope, hopes to get my speech back. And, uh, you know, I, I just started writing about my sobriety journey and, you know, I posted it on several different, um, Facebook platforms and, uh, you know, it just, it was so healing for me. And in 2020, you know, obviously the world shut down. Um, I had, I couldn't go to meetings. I was trying to homeschool my kids, which it was a joke. And, um, I was like, you know, I've go ahead. I was just gonna say, how long did it take you to get back your ability to talk? It took about completely, if I can speak like hundred percent properly, three months, I would oh, okay. say. Well, so um, I, I, cause when you, you said you had to homeschool your kids, but you could talk oh, at that point. You, that was okay. in 2018. Yeah, no, I could talk about that. Oh my God. Imagine. <laughs> That's what oh. I was thinking. And I was like, oh, oh God, I'm no, no, yeah. no. And okay. that's the reason I think like, okay, I just can't deny that God's not real because he just aligned this all perfectly. I got sober and like, you know, homeschool these kids without trying to pretend that I was sober. It was blah, blah, blah. And so uh, when, you know, the world shut down, I was like, I, I you know, I got to do something. Idle hands, you know, are, are the devil's play shop for me. And, you know, I was in the shower. I don't know why, like all good ideas come in the shower, but they do. And the, the title stroke of sobriety, like just popped into my brain. And I was like, oh, that would be an amazing book. I had never thought about writing book, never wanted to write a book. Um, and so I ended up compiling every single writing I had done for like two years and I put them in a, you know, a 365 day, you know, daily motivation book. And, um, I wow. self-published it cause you know, I, I'm a military wife and falling on a budget and, uh, it ended up becoming a bestseller, which is just wild to me. Well, and the thing that I think that is so exciting about that and so validative about the fact that it's a bestseller is that look at all the people that you're helping. And that's the only reason I did it. And, and, you know, you bring up a very good point. I, there's a gentleman that I follow on Instagram and he, he is a former alcoholic and every day he posts and every day he says, you know, like today is 400 day, 410 and here's oh. day 411. And I thought to myself, and I'm going to message him and ask him if he writes any of that down because you know, he always has a message, a special message in there and his thoughts and, and such. And he could easily turn that into a book, you know, exactly. and I think the, the whole idea of just journaling one's journey through yep. sobriety, I think is huge. And I, I think you have turned it into 
a brilliant way to help others. Thank you so much. And, you know, a lot of the reason was because I, I couldn't find anything out there that really talked about, you know, the gritty and negative parts of sobriety. Like, this is not rainbows and unicorns. And it takes so much hard work. It takes just digging deep to where you, it's, it seems like it's just not humanly possible. And so, you know, that's a lot of, you know, what my book is about because, you know, I really had to embrace the suck of sobriety and that's, it was sucking for a long time. <laughs> you said that in, in the bio, it was in the bio. I didn't read that part, but it, it's interesting. You embraced the suck of sobriety and I'm going to bet that that statement is very real to anybody that listens to this podcast that has come through it. Right. And, and I hope so, because, you know, when you just read all positive messages and you're not in a positive headspace, it can make you feel so alone. Yep. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. Danielle, I can't thank you enough for being willing to share your story. Not everybody is. And I know that when you tell a story like this, you have to talk about a part of your life that you're not particularly proud of. But the point is that when you do that and the people who listen to this podcast, whether they're currently addicted, whether they're formerly addicted, whether they're friends and family of someone addicted, or whether they're just someone who wants to understand it, you know, I think that your story resonates with, with those people, you know, because there's nothing pretty about addiction and there's nothing really pretty about sobriety. And I, I, I think a lot of people don't, well, they definitely probably understand there's nothing pretty about addiction, but I think anyway, I just, I know that you're, it's a very real story and I know that your story is going to resonate with people. And I, I appreciate you telling it. I so appreciate you saying that it's, um, you know, it's been a long journey and, and if I can just help one person, I really can die, um, with purpose. And that's really my only goal. Well, you're awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today to our uh, podcast and our interview with Danielle. I think her story is very real. I think that there's a lot of people out there who go through what Danielle's going through. I don't know, maybe not the stroke, but you know, the alcohol and, and not, you know, and, and trying to hide it. And I think that that happens so much with many people. And I think that there are probably more, um, you know, more people like that than, than we know. And if you're one of those people, you should reach out and get some help. I wanted to, um, a couple of weeks ago, we put up an interview with Dr. Stephen Gelfand, and he pointed out to me that in my outro, I made a little bit of an error. And he says that it was I said Richard Sackler, but it was Arthur Sackler, not Richard Sackler, who marketed Valium to great commercial success. Richard was his nephew and the driving force behind OxyContin. You know, the family, I'm telling you, the Sacklers got something to answer for. But Arthur was a medical student during the, or Richard was a medical student during the earlier Valium and heroin epidemics of the early 70s. And yeah, there you go. It's still all about the Sacklers and they were responsible. And Dr. Gelfand also wanted me to let you know that there's a series of articles that just came out on the Comprehensive Pain Clinic of Myrtle Beach, which he talked about in his interview. You can find it at Steve Gelfand, 
comma md at steve gelfand so um y'all have a great week if you need help if you're hiding your addiction or your alcoholism come clean get help first of all people know so you're not hiding it as well as you think you are anyway have a good week and we'll be back again with another interview you have been listening to the addiction podcast point of no return For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.